Let's go, Lord, in prayer, and then we can get started on the study. Lord, just come to you, just thank you and praise you, Lord, for us being in your house tonight. And let's be able to just study your word, Lord, and be able to use it as we go out these doors. Lord, we also just pray for those folks that's been lifted up here tonight, Lord, and you just be with them. You are the great physician, Lord, the great healer. We believe that, Lord. We believe in you. We have faith in you, Lord. Just pray you just touch each one of them, Lord. You know their needs. Lord, just be with them. We, we just pray for safety and good health as we travel to and from, Lord. We just pray for our families as well. We pray for those that are lost, Lord, that we might be a, just a, a ray of light to them, Lord. They get to know you. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, we're in Leviticus 22. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Leviticus to me is the Old Testament. There's a lot of good things there for sure. But it's just not something I typically go and read and study a lot, honestly. And uh, But some of the studies that we've had here with Pastor Gary have been able to show us things and how it can be even thought of in today's times. It's been pretty neat. Uh, like I said, I haven't been able to come to all the studies, but I typically try to watch them on the video that Jeremiah provides for the church. And it's pretty interesting once you actually get out in there to it and start thinking about that time frame where they were, how they lived, kind of you just kind of put your mind into it and you kind of picture a lot of things that is going on as it happened. I think it's pretty cool. But uh you know chapter twenty two uh, in a nutshell is really talking about the sacrifices and uh, what God expects those sacrifices, how they're supposed to be brought to him, and then the cleanliness and the uncleanliness of him and how that's supposed to be presented as well. You know, one thing we do have to remember is this is God. You know, I mean this ain't Randy, this ain't Troy, no, this ain't Miss Vicky. I mean, this is God that we're talking to. So we want to make sure he wanted to make sure that he was point blank and telling them how he wanted things to be prepared, how he wanted things to be brought to him for the sacrifices. And one main reason why is because he wanted them to understand how holy he was and how him how perfect he is. You know, we have to remember, you know, during this time, ever since Adam and Eve, we became pretty unclean. Humans did, you know. So what he's doing is he's bringing this back to a to a time where they can understand of representing something to them as a clean offering. So that they could understand who he is, how holy he is, and he could transfer on that to these these priests. So everybody else that wasn't priests, when they looked at them, they could understand the, the need of the cleanliness of the sacrifices and how important it was. Uh, if you just think of, I mean, I think about myself as I read some of this stuff, I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> you know, but we're we're very lucky that we do have Jesus that was sent to the cross, of course, too. You know, he was the ultimate sacrifice for us during this time, for us. But back then, Jesus had to come too yet. But as we read through this study, though, we'll get to see a little bit about Jesus and how this is kind of bringing him in too, you know, going through this Old Testament reading. So we'll get started. Can I get somebody to read Leviticus 22, 1 through 3? Anybody? I will. Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord, say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, <coughs> While he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from the presence. I am the Lord. All right. Basically, what that's saying is, I am the Lord. He made that profound statement of them so they would understand who he is. I mean, we're not talking about, like I said earlier, Randy or, you know, just somebody. We're talking about the God, the Almighty, the King of Kings, the Great One, the Creator of all things. He's letting them know up front, this is who I am. I'm fixing to give you a list of things here, so pay attention, you know. So that when it says, he's already burned a couple of them to death. Yeah, exactly. He was serious about it. You know, this ain't, he's not playing, he's not joking around. He's got a set of standards, like, like, 
uh, Brother Jim brought a message one time about a standard back here in a, a breakfast for us. Well, he set the standard here that has to be met by these people. And that's what he's fixed to explain because of who he is. He's setting the standard and he's telling them, you get your stuff straight before you come before to me. Before you come to me, that's right. And you can imagine too, you know, God, here he is. He's done brought these people through all this time, all these places, through all these, you know, tragedies you could think of by crossing the Red Sea, by making them all leave their home. He provided food for them. He provided water. He provided all this stuff for them. And yet, they're still not reverent enough to be, to see him as who he is, as holy. So he has to go back to Moses again and tell them who he is. And I want this stuff to be brought to me in a certain way because of how unclean you are. So, it's kind of an eye-opener in a way. You know, we think about ourselves, what we do, what, how we go through things in life and in a daily perspective, how we do wrong and stuff like that, and then how we can be unclean ourselves. Another thing it does to me is, is think about when we come in this church building. <laughs> you know, I know this is God's house. You know, we are the church, but this represents Him, this building does. We're not supposed to worship the building, of course, but when we come in here, we're supposed to have reverence for the God that we serve. So, I mean, you look at today's times, and you think about it that way, how some of the big churches are and different things. You see how people go in and go out and they got coffee shops. And I ain't trying to talk about coffee shops. But I'm just saying, I mean, there's got to be a line somewhere we got to look at and say, hey, this is God's house. This is serious business. We come to the altar up here to pray. You know, for instance, that's serious business. You got somebody comes up here and they commit their life or to the Lord. That's serious business. We ought to take it seriously. Uh, like when we do communion here in the church, that's serious business. We need to take it that way. That's why Pastor Gary always said when, before we take communion, he wants us to get our stuff straight before we take it for that reason. But uh, I've got some notes here I pulled up too. Uh, when it says, Who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate the Lord while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off. So, you know, that, that shows you right there, you know, if you come to him unclean, you're basically like a, a dwindling tomato on a vine. You're just going to pinch that off. You're no good anymore. But as we go through to the next, it's going to talk about that how we can be revived as long as we make ourselves clean also. It also says, because the old covenant was a covenant of shadows and types, pointing to the glory of the new covenant, the idea that a priest could not minister to in a ceremonially defiled or unclean state was important. Israel needed to know that drawing close to God was to be pure. You know, they had to be pure to draw close to God. And that's why he said at the end there is that while he has uncleanness upon him, that that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Uh, I've got notes everywhere. Scattered. I'm not near as smart as Pastor Gary is. Where you remember all this stuff? I've got stuff written down. Uh, if you go back to uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's what it says there. And also in Hebrews it says, now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Specific instructions. And also in Hebrews 10, 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. That's what it says there about that stuff. So y'all got any questions so far about 22, 1 through 3? Anybody? It's pretty quiet. All right, can I get somebody to read Leviticus 22, 4 through 9? For 
Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron, who is a leper or has a discharge, shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse, or a man who has had an omission of semen, or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean, or any person by whom he would become unclean, Whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat holy offerings, because it is his food. Whatever dies naturally, or, or is torn by beast, he shall not eat, to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby, if they profane it. I, the Lord, sanctify them. Okay, this here is talking about cleanliness again. This is talking about a leper. You know, we've talked about that in the past already about lepers and stuff. Anybody that has any kind of open sores or anything like that, that was considered unclean. Uh, that shall not eat any of the offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything that's, that's by a corpse or anything like that, anything that's dead or something like that, they have to make sure them that they are clean before they make any, partake of any type of food or anything like that. Also, the release of any type of bodily fluids, that was, I mean, that's something that's not un, kind of uncomfortable to talk about, but that was part of something that's how specific God is. He wants to make sure that anything that he has that you touch that's not clean, that you make sure that you know that you have to be clean before you do that sacrifice. So anytime, sometimes we get through some of this stuff that's a little uncomfortable to talk about, but it's a fact. It's just part of us. It's part of humans. It's who we are, and it's stuff that we got to go over. Uh, also, talking about the creepy things which they would make them unclean. They're talking about basically here, I looked it back up in, uh, let's see, it's going to be in Lamentations, I believe. My book doesn't say what the creepy things Okay, are. the creepy things is going to be on Leviticus 11.30. We have to go back a little bit when it's talking about stuff there. It's talking about the gecko, the monotaur lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. So creepy things are talking about snakes, reptiles, that kind of stuff, basically. So, so we're going all the way down to, to stuff like that. You know. uh, and it says here, what made them clean? If they touched those things, what made them clean? The people? The people. If they, they had touch to wash them, them. They had to wash. The water is what made them clean. Yeah. Right? That's exactly right. They had to wash. It says here, you know, the person who had touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat any of the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. Okay? And then the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy offerings because it is his food. We have to remember that. You know, the priests at that time, the offerings that came in, that's what they ate as long as they were clean. You know, but they had to go through <laughs> go. We have to remember everything that was sacrificed to God was considered holy too. So in order for them to actually partake of that, they had to almost become holy by becoming clean. Okay? And it says here, uh, whatever dies naturally or is torn by beast, he shall not eat. So if somebody what found it. What do you mean by that it, if it dies naturally? Well, I think if an animal or something died of old age or you went to a cage and found it dead, you know, you don't know the reason of why it died and it was considered unclean. Like roadkill. Roadkill. <laughs> roadkill. Like I say, you just imagine, you know, these days here, these people had prepared for a sacrifice. Well, if they was walking on the trail to, and they found a, you know, whatever an animal dead in a field, 
that's considered unclean. You know, I'm not going to take that up there to get it for my sacrifice because that animal there perished on his own. We don't know why. It's not really a sacrifice. It's just something that already died. Yeah, they're not supposed to touch it or eat it. Ain't supposed to even touch it or anything, exactly. Or you know, that sounds easy when we can run down to Walmart and buy some pound hamburger meat, you know. Yeah. 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 If you're out there hungry, I mean, these, yeah. they probably oh, yeah. spend half their life hungry. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm sure I don't look that dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it up with you yeah. a little bit, you know. Yeah, if you're yeah. bad a hunter as I am, you know, if I found a dead deer, I might bring it home till Donald shot him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've been there before, probably. <laughs> So we got to remember whatever dies naturally or is torn by beast, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. So if he eats that, he becomes unclean. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I the Lord sanctify them. It says here, it says, the violations of these examples would not ruin a man's career as a priest. If they touched unclean things, which I mean, if they're They've got herds of animals out there. They're going to pick up a dead calf or a goat or sheep or something that's bound to happen. I mean, if they're sleeping in a tent and a creepy thing crawls on them, they're going to grab it and throw it off of them, I'm sure. So that's what's cool about this right here is, is that it says that a, a, a violation would make the priest's ceremonial unclean until the evening. Once ceremonial cleanliness was restored, which when they washed themselves, they could be restored to their priestly service as before. See, their day ended when the sun went down. Sun went down. Started a whole day. Started a whole new day. Different than what we, what we, how we consider our days here. But what's really cool about that right there is, is that uh, once you think about that one little paragraph I just read, it says one, once ceremony cleanliness is restored, they can be restored to their priestly service as before. That reminded me when I read that and studied that 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 reminds me of Jesus. Once we, we commit sin, once we give that sin to God and repent, we're forgiven. It's basically almost just like the same thing. They become clean again, just like we do once we, we make a uh-oh. We can repent, step away from, and then we're back new again. Okay. It also said, like Paul's talking about, when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. Just a little side note, it says the Jews start their days at sundown. You know, not sunrise or midnight, just like you had said. With this description, God indicates that one can start the new day clean and pure with the Lord, no matter how he might have failed that day before. He can begin each day new and pure and close to the Lord. So that's pretty cool. So in essence, we can basically stop beating ourselves up for yesterday's sin. Basically, is what this is saying. Just like they could, if they messed up, they touched some creepy crawly, they went and picked up a dead animal to get it cleaned up. They could wash themselves, and they were ready to go back in and do their services. And that's just like we should be, you know, as as Christians, as believers of Jesus Christ. We mess up. We don't need to carry that with us. We have to let it go ourselves. That way, we can become new and do the work that the Lord has called us to do, just like He did these priests and stuff. But just keep that in mind. All right, and somebody read Leviticus 10 through 16. Okay. There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. A sojourner of the priest or a hired servant shall not eat of the holy thing. But if the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. And he that is born in his house, they shall eat of his meat. If the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger, she may not eat of an offering of the holy things. But if the priest's daughter be a widow or divorced and have no child and is returning to her father's house as is her youth, she shall eat of her father's meat, but there shall no stranger eat thereof. And if a man eat of the holy thing unwittingly, then he shall put the fifth part thereof unto it, and shall give it unto the priest with the holy thing. And they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer unto the Lord, or suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass when they eat the holy things. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. 
All right. <clears throat> now what it's talking about now is people that's in the household, basically. Who could eat, who could not eat. And it's pretty specific here. Uh, it's pretty much self-explanatory. It says, no outsider shall eat the holy offering. So nobody outside that house could eat, period, of the holy offering. The priest was considered a special person to the Lord. And anything, anybody that was under him, that was direct kin to him, could actually partake in that as well. So uh, it says here, or a hired servant shall not eat of the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. I didn't really understand that. You know what he had? Says a slave, not a slave, slave. okay. Yeah. Bought a slave. So if he bought a slave, then they could eat then, okay. But it says here, if he buys a person with his money, he may eat it. So if he bought a slave, he was considered part of the family, basically. And he could eat, partake in the food. And also it says, and one who is born of his house may eat his food. So anybody that's born in that house could eat there as well. They was connected, part of the family still. Says if the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food. But no outsider shall eat of it. He said that again. No outsider shall not eat. You know, brother, I, I think about this. We, we go from one dispensation of time in, in people's lives and I thought it would have been absolutely impossible for a man's daughter to marry an outsider. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, man, they keep the thumb on them people and they don't do anything. Right. Was my understanding, but obviously right. it happened. Yeah. Whether they wanted to or not. Right. Well, yeah, that's a lot of times like that. You think about 2,000 years ago, the same thing going on then as it is yeah. today. Exactly. <laughs> well, we see it all through the Bible, you know, pretty much. Like you said, you think they don't have the Walmarts, they don't have the movie theaters, they don't have all this stuff to run around and do to get in trouble. It ain't but, like they get on a camel and go down to yeah. <laughs> drive in somewhere. But Moses. But they, found, they found a way. Yeah. Yeah, Moses yeah. married an outsider. Yeah, Moses, he married an outsider. But there's several scriptures in the Bible that talks about that being an outsider, about being equally yoked and stuff like that, as far as your belief. You know, about serving the Lord together and being equally yoked, how much better it is for a relationship. But the Levites were the only ones who ate, ate the sacrifice. Right? Right. They took care of the temple. Right. So anybody of any other tribe that came in exactly to offer right. a sacrifice would be considered an outsider. Outsider. The other right. tribes would not be able to eat, right. even though they were gods, I guess. God's people, that's right. God's people. They would be considered an outsider, an outsider to the Levites. To the Levites, that's right. Because so, yeah, they were the Levites were considered priests. They were the, they, who he had chosen for the, the priestly duties. So anybody like she said that, that is true. Anybody like she that, that come in from another tribe or something, they couldn't partake of that food because they, they were an outsider. They weren't a Levite. They weren't called to be a priest. You know, Brother Randy, when you read and study on these things, people like the tribe of the Levite were all called to be priests, their sons and sons, sons and all. And you stop and think about it, not all of them were in the holy, in the tabernacle. Not high priests. Some of them just were fire builders. Some yeah. of them were, were incense, were made up to, right. and, and that didn't get clear to me, to, I think a couple of weeks ago he brought that up. Right. I thought just automatic of Levite was a priest. It was called me. And did the holy of holy, uh, but that's not true. Right. So it got a lot more clear when I got to thinking about that. You're talking about thousands of sacrifices. Thousands of that's right. Oh, yeah. And it takes a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. You can imagine it. Like Pastor Gary's talking about before, if we were still doing sacrificial offerings. Yeah. How long the line would be just to get in here to do it? It took a whole lot of people you know. to do that stuff, and oh, yeah. I got to thinking about it. When you associate it with the church today and the building, the people that do the, we call lesser or millennial things and take care of business, right. 
Right. Are the same type people that, that they just did what they were told to do. They did what they could do to help, and that was the way it was. Yeah, they had people there to help them, just like we do in the yeah. church today. Same thing. I mean, but there's only one high priest. Right, high exactly. Priest. I didn't mean right. to say it. That went in there the yearly. Yeah, exactly. And, and represented the people. It went into the Holy of Holies. That's right. Exactly right. But like I said, you know, not everybody can be the high priest. I mean, you had people that were under them that did duties to keep the place clean and all that kind of stuff because you got to remember the cleanliness of the food was one thing, but also keep everything clean inside the the building. I mean, it had the tent. It had to be kept a certain way. So, I mean. Sacrificing animals. Yeah. It's, you know, it's dirty. It's you, nasty. You got a lot of cleaning That's up exactly to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that had to be taken care of that this family here that helped do that that was underneath that high priest. So, yeah, a lot of people involved, you know. There's an association there also, brother, that the Lord wanted these people to be as near perfect as they could be because of what Jesus Christ was, as perfect as anything had ever been. And he wanted these priests, not that they would ever be completely perfect, but he wanted them as close to it as they could get by everything they did. And there's an association there, that's the future. Oh yeah, coming of the well, you know, they got to set an example, you know, just like we do as Christians in a way. You look at it that way. I mean, you know, we as Christians, we should set our the way we walk ought to explain who we are. Right. And but kind of the same way with this priest and stuff. The perfect, like he's talking about, you know, I, I know it's impossible to do, but let's right. just hypothetically say that. Uh, that you went through a whole life without ever making a sin. You never had a bad thought. I, I know we can't do that. But, but if you could do, if you did that, if you did uh, what Jesus did, you never made a mistake. You always, when if you was, according to the way I read the Bible, when you went before judgment, you would still have original sin on you because you come from Adam and Eve. Right. Or Jesus, and not that we could ever live perfect. But but Jesus didn't didn't do that on him. So we right. so no matter how perfect we get, how many sacrifices we do without Jesus, there's no other way in there. You can't be good enough. Right. Even if you could be, you can't. Exactly. Be. Well, that's a lot about this. Yeah, that's a lot to do with this study we're talking about right here. Because these people were called to be priests, okay. But you can see the list of things that God had to tell them they had to do just to be clean. So it, you know, it's, it's, it just shows you that even though these people were put in the highest spot, they were still unclean people. And you think back where they had to stay, uh, was it seven days on their yearly, the high priest had to stay seven days. He's not in the public, he's behind that. Behind. You know, he's gotta get his mind all right too. I mean, he's gotta, he's gotta walk in there as clean as, as exactly. a human can be. Right. And like I said, you know, that's you, know, you, you tie that in together as who we are. We're not priests by no means, but I mean, we profess that we are Christians. And with that being said, we ought to hold ourselves to the higher standards. Amen. Simply because we got people out there that's lost looking at us every day. Our walk speaks a lot about who we are and what we believe in. And you don't okay. think they're not looking too, oh, right? They are. They got us under microscopes. Yeah. Okay? I mean, you, you take anything, you look on social media, you take a guy where and he's he right down the line, he does one uh oh, well, he's blasted on social media. I mean his whole life ruined. Yeah. He can be over a lie or anything, but it gets put out there, you know, things can be things that happen. <coughs> so what I'm saying is is that yeah, even as our walks as Christians, we need to consider these things of how uncleanness and cleanliness, how we conduct our lives to who we profess we are, for those out there that we're trying to convert to be become who God wants them to be, just like he wants us to be. So it's it's a task for all of us if you all of us if you really look at it in that that way, you know. All right, let's go to uh, Leviticus seventeen through thirty. It's quite a bit of reading there. Seventeen through what? Thirty. Seventeen through thirty. Thirty. I'll read it, I guess. Okay. I'm, I'm down in my back, by the way. Uh-oh. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his free will offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without <coughs> without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land, nor from a foreigner's hand, nor for from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them, and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, when a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall have seven days with its mother, and from eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Whether it is a cow or a ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own will, free will. On the same day it shall be eaten, you shall leave none of it until morning, I am the Lord. Therefore you shall, not, you shall keep my commandments, my commandments and perform them, I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord. Okay. Well, now, let's see, he's spoken to the priest and told them what they were supposed to do when they're unclean and clean. Now he goes to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel, okay? And say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel, the strangers in Israel, who offers his sacrifice of any of these vows or for any of his free will offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering. And it goes in now of telling you what can be offered and the kind of shape it needs to be in for it to be considered a clean offering. Okay. And he gets very, very specific on this too as far as the animals that could be taken or not be taken. And uh, go through here again, it talks about uh, you shall offer to your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. So there's a big thing there, without blemish, okay? And, and then it also says, whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable, acceptable on your behalf. So that goes back again, like I was talking about earlier, these people, they had to prepare, you know, to make sure their animals were taken care of and whatever they were gonna be sacrificing for their sacrifice offering had to be without blemish, had to be without scratch, torn muscle, I mean, anything had to pretty much be perfect, okay? So what does that signify just in that one sentence? It's just like Jesus, right? Without blemish, without spot, it was perfect, okay? Goes down here, it says, blemished or deformed animals were obviously unacceptable to the Lord, and the priest had a responsibility to make sure that the animals brought before them by the people were good enough to bring to the Lord. God didn't want to the cast calls from people. He had a right to their best. So not only did these people here have to perform the sacrifices and stuff like that, but also they had to inspect the animals when they came in to be given to the Lord. So there's a process, you see. It's not just like, here's my cow, here's my goat. Take it in there and do what you got to do to it. No. They had to take it, look at it, make sure it was free of defects, free of being sick, that it could see 
had no blemishes, no scratches, no kind of skin disease. I mean, there's a list of stuff here that had to be, that he had to look at, you know, to make sure that this was going to be acceptable. Because, I mean, I would probably think that if uh, if he accepted an animal that was unclean, that would probably make him unclean right off the bat, right? So it was, it was a duty of his to make sure that what he brought in there was clean. So there was an inspection process. And later on, a few, almost a thousand years later, they took advantage of this big time. They started selling, oh, selling, selling them. Them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It just kind of goes back to like when Jesus went through the temple. Yeah. You know, about the pigeons, what they're doing. They're selling them three or four times more money than what they should have been. Everybody's trying to make money off these clean animals so they could use them as for sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. So he overturned the tables and stuff because they made his house into a den of robbers. They took something that was supposed to go to the Lord in a clean manner, in a clean way, and people was taking advantage of that, just like Troy said. You know, it seems kind of strange to try to, some of this stuff seems strange to us, so to try to understand, you know, why the Lord wanted things done this way. But it's really not us to question what he wanted. Exactly. He is God. Like we said earlier, I mean, he is the high priest of all high priests, basically. <laughs> he made it clear several times in here, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He made it clear <laughs> of who he was. He wanted everybody to make sure they understand who he was, why it had to be the way it did. And like I said, he set that standard, and these people had to meet that. Yeah, he don't have to be politically correct. And a matter of fact, it's kind of a racist there. He kind of like these Jews better than the rest of them. <laughs> but he's God, and that's okay. That's what he. That's but he is politically correct. He is correct. Period. He is the standard. It doesn't matter what we think about yeah, what he that's does. Exactly what right. he says. Yeah. He Our minds correct. can wander off into La La Land, but the fact is, what he says goes. This is the standard. This that we is live the standard. By. We can rationalize and make it the way we want to, but it's not right. We have to go by what he says, what he outlines for us to do. And we have to follow that to a T. And he had a purpose that we don't understand. My, my, Bible, my study Bible said the ultimate perfect sacrifice was Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's so right. they expected nothing less. Exactly right. Yeah. He was the only perfect one that was. They had to give their best. And that's like we're talking about through here about the blemishes and no spots and all that, and how that just goes right back to the Lord, you know, Jesus, our Savior, you know. Like it says here, it also says that this is foreshadowing of Jesus, you know, our perfect sacrifice, basically. He was perfect in his nature as both God and man, perfect in his motive, perfect in his personality, perfect in his obedience, perfect in his sacrifice for our sin. It says you should not uh, make any offering of them in your land. I didn't quite understand that. Come back up here. That's uh, 24. Verse 24. Verse 24. Okay. In your land. Did I tell you the right? Yeah, that's right. Let me go back to where 22, 24. We've got to study that here. The Lord shall you make any offering of them in your land. I got one ocean check sticky up here. I get lost in them. Does that mean that they didn't they didn't do sacrifices where they lived? They had to bring them to the tabernacle to the Well maybe that's what that means. I think yeah, that's I think what so. it means to me. They, didn't, they couldn't just save time as we would do and make a sacrifice right at home, at home. <laughs> and not even go to the tabernacle. Yeah, well, you wouldn't want to go to somebody else's land to get one. <laughs> I hear you. Well, brother, you know, uh, brother uh, Gary, uh, Terry brought up that fact. I, not being a, a farmer of such, a rancher, I, I often wondered how people with, a, with a, I see people with herds and these people had flocks, hundreds and, and thousands, some of them. And I wondered how they picked out one that was unblemished. And you know, that would be quite a search through all of these animals. Let me see which one. I'm, but 
Brother Gary brought out the fact that usually they pick one and hand raised it to, to bring it to the sacrifice. And that made the whole thing clear up a whole lot to me. They had one that they presented that was well fed, had been taken care of, and was worthy of the sacrifice rather than just going out the day before they make the trip and pick one out. There's probably more of them that's unblemished than there are blemished. Well, yeah, but you don't want to mistake them to take one. But, but raising it, you know, in the house or whatever. Well, I think it's true in that day and time that there were shepherds that were out there. They didn't stay at the house and just go out, you know, once a week or check their herd. They were out there with them looking after them to make sure they were safe at wolves or whatever. Well, yeah, that's the way they ate. That's the, their life was their animals. Have you ever watched these youngins when they go to 4-H and stuff, you know, with them cattle, they, they have a... a they breed them for that to be the, without blemish, you know, and then they walk them, they take care of them, they get top grade food. Other ones might be out there starving, but they them get fed good. Exactly. Right. And I'm sure that's the kind of good pride, point. Exactly. you know, they took in them to. I'm sure they did too. They probably took pride into yeah. raising those animals to be spot free without blemish and make sure they was fed good because that was part of them doing, you know, their part to making sure what they were offering was going right. to be clean. You know, it's, it's like, uh, like my boy raised chickens one time and they, they they raise their feeder up real high off the ground <clears throat> and I you know I never raised chickens like that before and the reason was is because the chickens have to stretch to eat and it, it builds them it builds them up so I'm, I'm sure that they blemish means not you know they had to have muscle all the way down their leg like a cow ought to look and yeah and I, I'm sure they they worked hard at it healthy, you know, healthy looking animals yeah you know. good point no. Kind of like, kind of like kids in the FHA, and you're raising a a, cat, a steer or a pig or a goat or sheep or whatever. You're you take exceptionally good care of that. Mm -hmm. You want it to be the best. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I showed rabbits one time. I didn't hear the place. The only reason why I did is I go to fairgrounds all day. <laughs> I didn't take good care of them. It showed. You know. You watch them nowadays, they do take care of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mamas and daddies take care of all that. Yeah. That's usually the way it goes. Exactly. But you know, in that chicken raising we did that time, and we had 50 chickens in it, and we, we only had three and only could show one. One of them. So, so they had to go through that process. Of, yeah. And you got to figure, I'm trying to please a guy I don't even know. Yeah. You know, and he's feeding other rabbits and all that stuff. and. And uh, these people try to please God. Right. So if he's got a freckle behind his ear, God knows it. He knows it. Right. He knows those animals. Yeah. God knows everything. Absolutely. We know that for sure. So, but like you said, I would, I could see these people taking pride in what yeah. they brought. You know, you can imagine these animals lined up out there. They're like, oh, that nerd got, a, he got a limp leg. You want to take him back and get another one? You know, like you could hear people probably talking like this as they were bringing animals up to be sacrificed. You know, well, he's got, he's hurt or. Man, he's got a scab on his ear. I mean, you want to take him back, get him something else. I mean, so, I mean, these people, they took pride, I would think, in the raising this as an offering to God. And I think that's what God wanted. You know, He wanted to make sure that people took time to make sure what they were given was something that was important to them, just as it would be as a sacrifice to the Lord. And you know, that's don't it. you wonder, I mean, I know we're a bit humans, but, you know, if I'm walking behind Mr. Voss with my goat and he's got his goat, I'm. Like it looks a little fatter than yours does, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure that that kept their standards. I'm sure it did. To held them accountable, you know, as well. Yeah. Plus the priest and yeah. and the fear, the fear that, that God wouldn't accept there. Yeah, man. What's the time Jesus came along, they were buying pigeons outside the. That's right. Yeah, you know. That's right. And he threw a fit about it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But say you think about that though, and how society even is today, how easy they wanted to make it on themselves. They didn't want to raise it. Yeah. They thought, oh, I can just go buy this perfect animal over here, and not have to go through all this stuff right here, and I can go make them sacrifice real quick. What does that look like? Sometimes it look like us, don't it? We want to, we want to run in the church door, you know. Like, like the, the outstanding Christian, <clears throat> and we leave and go home, and then we the <coughs> we the bad, we the wrong persons. Mm -hmm. You see, it's kind of the same thing if you think about that. I think a lot of these standards that the Lord set was to to see if these people 
if they brought a blemished animal up there, that's a disrespect. Exactly. See, I think a lot of it was to show respect for who he was or who he is. Right. Well, I mean, <coughs> a lot of those animals that were being bought were from foreigners. They weren't they weren't right locals, Local. so they couldn't hardly bring that animal with them. They when they got there, they tried to buy the best animal they could get. You know. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them was part of that way. I mean, some of these people had to come from a ways off just to get there. You know. And you imagine just on a one or two or three day hike trying to get to with the animal, you know, trying to get there. I mean, they didn't have a, you know, car loaded them up in the back of the truck and they make sure we got air in the tire and just drive them down there real quick. I mean, they had to make a journey, you know, with this animal too. So, you know, we look at a lot of things here. If you read into it a little bit, it kind of shows you that there is a lot more to it than just bringing an animal down there for sure, you know. But uh, also it says, let me read this. It says, whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it is not acceptable on your behalf. You know, in Malachi, he spoke about this against who brought God inferior animals. It says here, uh, Malachi uh, 7, let's see here, 1, 7, 8, it says, By offering polluted food upon my altar, you may say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your government. Do you present that to your government? Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. So I mean, we look at sacrifices and animals and blemishes. It goes. It talks about that in multiple chapters in different areas of the Bible. It's not talking about this right here in Leviticus. You read it a lot enough, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see a lot more about the sacrifices of animals and blemishes and spot-free and that kind of thing. So. It also says in that same chapter that we, I mean, that, the paragraph we just read, it says that, uh, that uh, from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted, accepted as an offering. So a newborn could not be used as an offering. They had to be at least seven or eight days old, eight days old, before they could be accepted as an offering. Less than eight days old, it could not be offered. My Bible also, it also it's says, interesting that it yeah. it says during the time of Jesus, the religious leaders were angry that Jesus could touch an unclean person and not be affected, but that it that they would have been in, declared unclean. Yeah. But when he would touch people like that, they, that person became clean. clean. Yeah. He was the living water that washed them. And it made the religious leaders angry. Yeah, yeah they couldn't figure out what to do that. You know, back then they had their own magicians and they had their own things to come up with different concoctions to try to go against what the Lord could do. But they could never ever do what he done. Uh -huh. I mean, he could touch a leopard and make him clean. Most of them never got it. He could put still on it. Yeah, he could make they, him blind. They fought tooth and nail to try to hang on to what they had before and not realizing what was coming, or what the, that the Messiah was. And they still don't accept a lot of them. Right. Still don't accept it to this day. Sure. They can't wait for the tabernacle to get rebuilt so they can start sacrificing again. Well, I mean, I don't think, you know, the people, some of the followers believed him. You know, of course, the disciples and those kind of people believed him. But, you know, it's kind of like you think about today's time. If, if you're raised a certain way in a certain area, you're going to believe what you're raised around. You know, and these people saw these miraculous signs that Jesus done. And a lot of those people, they were instant believers of him because of they, whenever they saw that, it healed them as much as it did the person that was affected by whatever disease or the blindness or whatever it was. So they were touched by it just as the person was that got healed from whatever, you know, plague or whatever he had. So a lot of people did believe when they saw him do these miraculous signs. But a lot of times, like you said, a lot of people didn't believe no matter what they saw. You know, even some of the disciples. But God, they, God they, also blinds people on purpose for a certain amount of time. time. That's right. While his will is being done, and and you know, unveils mysteries throughout the Bible. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, you get into the disciples for doing that. You know? Yeah, you get into the disciples like you know Peter, for instance. 
He walked around with the Lord Jesus the whole time. He saw everything that he did. He said, I would never deny you. What did he do? He denied him. The Lord told him he was denying him. He did. So, I mean, it just shows you human nature how we are and how fast we can say and commit to something and how fast we can retract from it, too. Well, when he come into Jerusalem, you know, they were throwing palm leaves down and, oh, yeah. and praising him. When he rode in on a donkey, three days later, they're hollering crucified. Exactly. Same people. Same people. That's right. And you think about that, too, whereas, uh, you know, Jesus, he, uh, whenever he did do the healing and stuff like that, you know, and like I said, the disciples, they saw him heal a lot of people. They saw him feed the 5,000. They saw him do all these miraculous signs. And they told them that Jesus told them multiple times that they had the power to do that same thing that he did, even greater. But until the Holy Spirit was unleashed on them, that's whenever it was revealed to them exactly who he was and the power that, that they actually had then also. So, I mean, it's a process. You know, and thank goodness for the process because we get to read about it <laughs> through what they've done and what they learned and then we can you know we can kind of correlate our lives and how we are and things and feelings and different scenarios we go through in life and we can resort back to what they've done and it kind of helps us out a lot too but like these people here they didn't have this to read you know just like pastor gary said several times we've got a living active work right here with us all the time they didn't have that you know they couldn't foresee Jesus. We can read this and look back and we can see Jesus all through it. But if we didn't know exactly who Jesus was at that time, it'd be hard for us to see him too, I think. You know. Okay, if we go into the last part of this, it says, Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name. But I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, I am the Lord. There again, he ends this chapter saying, I am the Lord. He's specific. When he talks about, therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them, God commanded Israel, and especially the priests, to keep his commandments and to honor them. And honor his name because of who he was when he said, I am the Lord. And because of what he is, my holy name is what he said because of what he is doing also. Zion, the Lord, who sanctifies you and what he has done, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He wanted to make sure he knew that he had done brought them out of there also. And also at the end it says, when he says, I am the Lord, surely these four things are true of the believer in relation to God today. And we are each valid and important reasons for his obedience. A lot of my studying I do, I'll read the Bible, don't get me wrong, i read it quite often. But I also, there's a there's another deal I go to, it's called a Blue Letter Bible. And it's a very, very good studying tool. Some of this stuff here, you can read it and get lost in two sentences. But the Blue Letter Bible, what it does, it does break down the scriptures and it kind of formulates things in the day's time a little bit too. So I'm just giving that to you guys as a reference of, of studying for you guys if you need a little extra help. I do use the strong concordance and stuff like that too when I study but that Blue Letter Bible is very, very helpful. made a lot of things. Y'all got any questions about tonight's study? We're going to end right here tonight. That way, Pastor Gary will take off on 23. <laughs> what were you saying? Blue Letter Bible? Blue Letter what Bible Study it? Guide. It's a study guide. It's just the name of what they named it, but it's it kind of breaks down each scripture. Uh, and it kind of it's a you. new King James Version, isn't it? <laughs> yes, sir. Not the old. Yeah, uh, they actually got it broken down in the ESV and the New King James. You can pick out which one you want on there for it to kind of correlate with whatever Bible you're studying. I've got it in my uh, phone, but I've never seen a study uh, comment on it. It should have a study guide on the bottom. I'll you look a look little harder then. I just missed that. Yeah. But it's real helpful. And uh, also, that little uh, Audio Bible deal you got me yeah. way back. That's a help. I still use that. I go to the road and I turn it on. I love, love it. <laughs> I listen to this right here probably 20 times and I'm like, hold on, I got to stop that, rewind it. What did it say? You know? <laughs> I didn't anyway, have a clue how to say some of those things to that guy. Well, I hope I didn't uh, cloud y'all's minds too much on the night study. Uh, like I said, Pastor Gary, he's he's got a little bit more knowledge in this than I do for sure. But, uh, like I said, we're all different. 
we all do have different tactics, <coughs> but one thing we do all have in common. That is the truth right here in our hands. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ is there for us daily. All we have to do is be, be obedient to Him and remember who He is and how important that He is. We take, I think a lot of time we take God for granted. <coughs> and I mean, you know, we anytime something happens, oh God, you know, but the days everything's going good, where is God? He's around, I know that, but where is He in my life? Y'all make a point to thank Him for what He's done. You know, so I encourage all you guys, just make sure that you stay obedient to Him. Stay faithful to reading the Word. This Bible study, yeah, we're in Leviticus. It's a lot. It's a, it's a chapter. It's a, it's a book of the Bible. A lot of people just kind of flip past. But there's so much here to learn from, for sure, and so much that actually points to Jesus that is unreal if you just put your mind into it and read it. And we've noticed that all through the beginning of the studies that we started in the Old Testament. So it is definitely a prelude to who's coming. I think some of what we lost through the years, you know, is these people feared the Lord as well. I mean, he's, he's, he's full of love. He's, he's, you know, sent us Jesus, but he's, he's a Lord to be feared of if you don't do right. And these, you know, these people got to see him burn up Aaron's kids. And I mean, they got to see the whirlwinds and, right. you know, and they, uh, as time goes on, you know, just like them selling pigeons and doves and all that, they just, they lost, they lost the fear part. Right. That, that you should do, and I think as a nation, we're yeah. some of the things that's going on. With you know, they're not scared of God. Right. They fear nothing. They fear yeah. nothing. That's a yeah. scary place to be. There's no respect whatsoever. Yeah. They don't believe in him. I think that's it. I don't yeah. think that it's, they're afraid of him. I don't think they think he exists. Yeah. Because and the ones that claim that they do, it's all about, well, God loves me, God loves me. I mean, he does love you, but he also well, he, yeah, he expects uh, smite you, you know. If he will correct you. If I lived back in those days, I'd have to make a lot of notes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to have a big, perfect herd. Yeah. Just to... <laughs> right. Talking about the lack of respect and so forth. A little side note on our, on our trip. We're cycling down the road in what I call a state of confusion, better known as California. California. <laughs> Saw a sign up on the side of the road. You see them real regular, the uh, adopt a highway things. It caught my eye. An atheist organization that adopted a two-mile section of highway. You know, this this just. Right. Blows my mind. Yeah, it is. They're doing everything they they're can out there. Yeah. to they try to act normal. We see it quite often. I mean, the atheists uh, are out there to try to kill, steal, and destroy, just like the devil does. Anything good. And if you put up a sign about God, they, they would protest it in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. But yeah. we just drive by that, you know. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Well, one thing about it is we know Jesus came to save us. And no matter what we go through in life, before we get to know Him, that He'll take care of that for us. But once we know Him, we should live our lives like He's right beside us, that we do know Him. And that's like, I think that's a lot of times where we get confused. You know, I think a lot of times we, we claim to know God and claim that we're, Jesus claims us, but where's our fruit at? I mean, how do we walk in a day's time? Where's our thoughts? Go ahead. Sorry. Think about the wickedness and the ungodliness that is going on in our nation today. And we know about, read about Sodom and Gomorrah and how wicked they are. And we know it's going to get like that, even worse and worse. And uh, you look back, say like 25, 30 years ago, and it was bad. But today it's even worse, worse, worse. I've been here the last couple of days, and I haven't. I've been here the last couple of days for the word pride, and I think I haven't caught all, I haven't heard all of it all together yet. But I think that's all about this open ungodliness, wickedness, lesbian, gay, bisexual, oh, yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. Does anybody know about that yet? This is dedicated to. 
Yeah, this month. This is Gay Pride Month. This is the Pride Month. They're proud of that stuff. They're pushing it more and more and more. I seen our vice president. She was in one of the parades they had out there the other day. Like we say, there is a lot of wickedness going on. When you can dedicate a whole month, and more than half the nation goes along with it, from businesses, I mean, I deal with a lot of businesses, a lot of paper mills, dom tars, I mean, a lot of different businesses I deal with. And they, on different things, they, they profess that, they, that they're excited about their employees and all that kind of thing that may be in that, involved in those kind of situations. So it just goes to show you that, I mean, they profess it like it's no big deal. So I mean, you know over their past, what, like, sir, where say, you know, 25, 30 years, things that happened then. Oh, yeah. They happened then, but they're 10 billion times worse now, you know. Exactly. But through the course of time, we Christians, you know, we, de we developed the 11th commandment. <coughs> Thou shalt not offend. Offend. Yeah. Forget about the other ten. Right. You just got to live by the eleventh commandment. And that's what's wrong. It's time to start offending people. Yeah. And I ain't saying that to be ugly. You yeah. do it with a right heart. Right. If you ain't offending someone, you tell them about the gospel, tell them about Christ, and you're not offending them. Yeah. You're not doing your job. Yeah. I guarantee you. Speaking of that, if you go out there and you speak this word, you're going to offend people. Yeah. That's for sure. And I think that's got a lot to do with us. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing by going out proclaiming this and living by it. You know, they tell you, know, you say, well, you're, you're judging me. You're judging right. Me. No, I'm not that's judging very I'm trying first. you. Yep. I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to warn you warning. from the hell that's coming that you're going to spend eternity in. Right. And you're never going to escape it. You're going to have to live in that mess. The mess that you're living in now, yep. you're going to have to live in eternity. And it, you, your mind, I don't care how intelligent you are, you cannot comprehend. Yeah. What hell is going to be like? Yeah, and Christ true. speaks about hell in the Bible way more than He does heaven. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He's warning us. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He wants you to know that that's not a place you want to go to. That's right. I agree, hundred percent. We got to get a backbone. That's for sure. We we've lost it. You know. Uh, I mean, I see it in churches I go to, and I, you know, I, I'm a Gideon, so I get to go travel to different churches and stuff. And I've shared this story with them a hundred times, but I still see it every time I go out. <laughs> So it's, 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 it's new every time I go somewhere else, it's like that. But you can just see the, the church house that used to be full, you'd see the photos on the wall where there'd be a congregation that couldn't even get a seat in the house. You go in and there's five people there. That's all they got. You got one guy, he's a piano player, the singer, and the preacher. You know, he's doing it all. I mean, this church has been there before. You know, it's, it had four members at one time. But like I said, I mean, it's getting more and more prevalent every day. Well, when you have passion, Stand behind the pulpit and tell you Truth. that being a homosexual is wrong, or being a lesbian is wrong, yeah. and they won't stand up because they don't want to offend you, or stand up there and tell you that it ain't right to live together. Yeah. And you know, and when you tell somebody you can't live together, but you're judging me because it, no, that pastor is not judging you. He loves you. That's loving you to tell you the truth. That's right. You know, and then people attack the pastor and call him judging. Oh yeah. That stuff is just. It happens. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pastors that have to walk around on eggshell. They don't have a job. You know. They don't have a job when they start preaching. Exactly. Right. That's exactly right. They don't have a job. But there's a lot of pastors out there that are lost. They want to speak the truth, but they know the congregation will run them off. Churches that are full of those feel good churches. Exactly. Are you seeing many children in these churches? No. That's what, worries, that's what worries me. Yeah, the kids these days are too preoccupied with the games and the parents don't want to get them to church. And that's the deal. I mean, the parents, they play a big part of getting kids to the church. They don't believe. The parents don't believe. Well, parents, when you get the father, the father, the head of the house, God created the head of the house. You got the man, the woman. Today's society is reversed. Reversed. But when you get the man at the head of the house, when he's saved, 92% of the, the families will be saved when the head of the house is saved. Right. They just proven back. Yeah. When they, you know, so you got to work on the daddies. You get the daddies right. Guess what? Everybody else. Everybody else right. all mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah, we got to make sure that the household is 
held to a certain standard too, for sure. Is that quotable, 90%? Yes, it's 92%. That, that's, that's a shocker. That's a pound me. That it would be that for the high percentage. Wow. But that, that makes sense. Well, it does, it but I just didn't realize house. it was that, yeah. that high. Of course, yeah. there's not that many fathers in the dials. That's, right. That's right. Y'all got any, anything else? Anybody popping in mind on prayers while we was having a study? I wanted to say one more thing, share something with you. There's an old saying that popped up years ago about got your goat. We've been talking about animals and stuff. And I got to wondering, I wonder what that's all about, got your goat. So I did a little research on it and found out back in the early days of horse racing, back when they just put a stake out in the pasture and raced another stake, people would come up and tie the horses. <clears throat> to a tree or bush or fence post if I could find one. And this one guy realized it calmed his horse down because there was a goat feeding right there in front of his horse. All the other horses were so jittery, jumping around, they couldn't hold it. His was just as calm as it could be. So from then on, when a guy wanted to rent a race, he went and got your goat. Okay. To keep your horse from being. That's where that saying came from. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you guys coming tonight for sure. It's a little bit after seven, so we'll make sure we get out of here on time as close as we can. Uh, Pastor Jim, I mean, Brother James, will you close that? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be back in the house. We thank you for Randy there tonight, dear Lord, that, that you spoke through him, my Lord. I pray, Lord, you'd be the pastor as he's out on vacation with his grandkids, and Lord, keep them all safe and bring them back Sunday to us there, Lord. Just be with us as we travel home. Uh, finish out the rest this week, here, Lord. He's saying we ask your name. Amen. 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 Amen.